Hi, I'm Norm Tavern with this month's edition of the Lighter Side of Health Law brought to you by Coker Group, a national healthcare advisory firm working with hospitals and physician groups to develop customized solutions that ensure strategic differentiation in the marketplace and the achievement of goals. Through principled professional consulting, Coker Group assists healthcare providers in their pursuit of a sound business model and an enhanced patient experience. Can a can get two years in the can? On January 23rd, a federal court in Boston sentenced a giant can of fentanyl spray to 26 months in the slammer. Okay, it wasn't exactly the can of spray that was sentenced. It was Alec Berkeloff, the former Insys Therapeutics VP of Marketing, who gained national fame by dressing as a giant fentanyl spray can and dancing to rap music at a national sales meeting. The 26-month sentence was more than the prosecutors asked for. They wanted a lighter sentence because Berkeloff had confessed early in the investigation and cooperated in bringing the whole Insys team to justice. There's no truth to the rumor that Alec will spray paint his spray can costume with horizontal prison stripes. The case is U.S. versus Babbage et al., District of Massachusetts. Cruella de Vil Award. You remember Cruella de Vil, the mean-as-a-snake villainous in 101 Dalmatians? Sometimes lawyers, even in healthcare, must take particularly harsh or unfeeling positions, positions that merit the coveted Cruella de Vil Award. This month's Cruella goes to the defense position in the case brought by Susan Mattingly after her son James died following surgery to reverse his colostomy. Susan alleged negligence in the failure to diagnose and treat post-surgery bowel leakage, leading to sepsis and death. A jury found in favor of Susan and awarded her $1.35 million. The defendants appealed, arguing that Susan's case should have been thrown out of court. Why? Because they argued Susan had wantonly destroyed vital evidence. What was the evidence that Susan had so wantonly destroyed? The evidence was her son James's body, and she had destroyed it by having James cremated. You heard correctly. The defense argued that Susan was guilty of destroying evidence, spoliation is the technical term, because she had James cremated. The court seemed appalled by the defense position, ruling, quote, the lawful cremation of a family member's remains is not an act of destruction in the spoliation context. Susan's trial victory was unanimously affirmed. The case is Adventist Healthcare versus Mattingly, Maryland Court of Special Appeals. How to practice law without knowing it. Pennsylvania attorney Frank McClellan learned that it's easier than he thought to practice law and that it can be extremely expensive. Cindy Johnson asked McClellan about bringing a med mal case in New Jersey. McClellan was not admitted to practice in New Jersey, so he referred her to Aaron Freiwald, who gained admission for that case. Freiwald promised McClellan a third of any fee. When Freiwald settled the case for $500,000, he paid McClellan $52,000 out of his own fee. Pretty good for McClellan, right? Well, it looked that way until two events occurred. First, Cindy decided that Freiwald had negligently left some defendants out of the case, so she filed a legal malpractice case against Freiwald and, you guessed it, McClellan. Second, a New Jersey Superior Court ruled that McClellan's role in Cindy's case, though limited, constituted the practice of law, make that the unauthorized practice of law since he wasn't admitted in New Jersey. Second, fee splitting is illegal unless the recipient, McClellan in this case, is authorized to practice law in the state, which he was not. Third, fee splitting is illegal unless the client has consented in writing. Had Cindy consented? Nope. So, Professor McClellan has to give back the $52,000, right? Well, not exactly. He has to pay Cindy three times that amount, $156,000, because that's the penalty for the unauthorized practice of law. And he has to reimburse Cindy for all her expenses in pursuing him, all because he referred Cindy to a lawyer for a fee. Now who doesn't have a leg to stand on? 
After Lila Bronner underwent knee replacement surgery, she went to a Boise, Idaho facility for rehab. Nurses there noticed many troubling symptoms, right foot curling inward, limping, bruising on the lower leg, and ever-increasing pain, but nobody reported any of this to Lila's physicians. Eventually, rehab personnel gave in to Lila's request to go to a hospital. There, doctors discovered that an undiagnosed broken bone in her lower leg had severed her femoral artery. Her right leg had to be amputated. At trial, the jury found the rehab facility negligent and awarded Lila damages of $2.3 million. The rehab facility appealed, arguing that the damage award should be overturned because it was based on the testimony of a, quote, life care planner regarding the expenses Lila was likely to incur as a result of the amputation. But the Idaho Supreme Court ruled that the life care planner had reviewed Lila's medical records and consulted with their doctors. The court unanimously ruled that it was the facility, not Lila, that didn't have a leg to stand on. The case is Bronner versus AHC of Boise, Idaho Supreme Court. 80-year-old wins the race. An 80-year-old, Teresa Merced, has won the race, the race to be the first person to plead guilty under ECRA, the Eliminating Kickbacks and Recovery Act. ECRA is part of a new statute titled Substance Use Disorder Prevention that Promotes Recovery and Treatment Act. The reason the name is so long is so that the acronym can be S-U-P-P-O-R-T, support. It generally prohibits kickbacks for referrals involving opioid treatment. What did Teresa do to win the race? Well, as manager of a substance abuse clinic in Kentucky, she successfully solicited cash and other favors from a urine testing company in return for referrals. In other words, P for pay. She's pleaded guilty to one count of violating ECRA, one count of making false statements, and one count of evidence tampering. Sentencing is set for May 1. Teresa faces a maximum of 20 years, which, when you're 80, could be life. The case is U.S. versus Merced, Eastern District of Kentucky. Loaded dice. Researchers recently tested the cognitive ability of clinicians aged 70 or above applying for credentials at Yale New Haven Hospital, and the tests revealed that about 13% showed cognitive deficits that could impair their practice ability. By contrast, 0% of clinicians below age 70 showed cognitive deficits. Can you guess why? It's because they didn't test clinicians below age 70, only those 70 or above. That sounds to me like loading the dice against clinicians 70 or older. And as you may have guessed by now, I'm over 70 and I have no cognitive problems. And oh, did I mention that I'm over 70? Well, that's it for this month's edition of The Lighter Side of Health Law. I hope you enjoyed it. Check your AHLA Weekly and Connections magazine for the next edition.